The following was recorded live as part of Homeschool.com's 2005 Homeschooling Teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. So this next hour, we have the very great honor of speaking with Howard Berg. Uh, Howard is the uh, Guinness Book of World Records holder for speed reading. He's also an expert in speed math and speed writing. Uh, using Howard's methods, Dr. Cooney Beasley, who is also on the line with us, uh, who is the president of Gateway Preparatory School, experienced phenomenal academic success. Uh, students completed high school an average of two and a half years and graduated with between 30 and 45 college credits. Uh, 20 students completed college before the age of 20 or younger. Uh, three 13-year-olds graduated into college. Two of them attended University of Texas at Arlington. Uh, one just graduated at 16 with a 4.0 average in economics, and the other is a senior with a 3.97 average in engineering. So um, thank you very much for being with us, Howard. You're going to tell us how to uh, graduate uh, finish high school in half the time, and how to get accepted into college. Exactly, and uh, we specialize in homeschool students. So about 99% of our students are homeschooled. Which, of course, makes sense because this one-on-one learning or small group learning and homeschooling is so fast and efficient that combined with your uh, speed techniques, um, they're able to complete high school in much less time than the average high school student. Well, I taught in public school for 10 years. I worked in Bedford Stuyvesant worked in Crown Heights, some of the worst schools in America. One of the high schools I worked in had 2% graduating. And I went to the pre- to the principal and I volunteered to help teach these kids how to learn. And he looked at me and he said, it's not in the curriculum. I said, you have a 98% failure rate. How could I ruin those numbers? And he wouldn't <laughs> let me do it. So I did it anyway. And he caught me and he wrote me up for not working, that I wasn't doing my job because I was teaching kids how to learn. And I quit. I went into teaching homeschoolers because at least there you can do your job and help the kids the way their parents expect to be helped. Well, we're so lucky to have that freedom and flexibility. Uh, Howard, I can barely hear your voice. So I'll talk if you louder. <laughs> yeah, so, so I put your uh, face as close to the mouthpiece as you would, and then unfortunately you'll just kind of have to scream. It's because we have so many people on the call, sometimes it weakens the voices a little bit. Okay, I'll speak loudly, and I'll tell Dr. Beasley he has to talk loudly when he gets on, too. Yes, thank you. So, of course, the first question everyone wants to hear is, is um, learning faster really so important? Is it desired? Not only is it desired, it's essential. Most people don't realize more information is printed each week than in all human history through the year 1800. The average person reads it about 200 words a minute. And now everything in the world is based on using information. They say every two years, the world's information is doubling. And by the year 2008, every six months, it's doubling. So students have to be taught how to learn and understand and use facts quicker. They're going to be successful in the new economy. So in the information age, this way... um uh, students can deal with all the information coming in so that they can get through it quicker and decide what's valuable and what's not. And another critical area that's addressed here is school, even homeschooling, has missed the bone on one critical area. We don't teach kids how to learn. We tell them what to learn. And that's kind of sad. When you think about it, you tell a child you should study harder. What do they do? The same thing that didn't work in the first place. And it isn't their fault. We have to teach kids how to study. We have to teach kids how to learn. Uh, I became aware of it when I was a student in college. I majored in bio 
went to the State University of New York at Binghamton. In my senior year, I decided to also major in psych and had to do the two, the four-year psych program in one year for six science courses at once. And they said, you can't. You're not smart enough. And that's when I realized no one taught me how to learn. I wondered why we can remember the words, I shot the sheriff. We don't even want to. Then you read a book that actually matters, and 15 minutes after you finish studying all night, you don't know the title and who wrote it. Your expertise is not just on speed learning, but also in comprehension. Exactly. I wanted to spend time today on specific techniques that the parents listening can begin using, rather than just talking about it, but actually give them things they could put to use so that they could see the value of what we're doing. Oh, thank you very much. So we're prepared to take notes. So how do we get started? I think the first thing we should discuss is reading and reading speed. The average person reads, as I said, about 200 words a minute. But if they go in a car, they're going to read the road at about 60 to 70 miles an hour, depending on what state and where they are. And you read the road in four directions instead of just one, like a book. You read in front and back and both sides. Instead of being overwhelmed, it's so boring, you turn on the radio, you make cell calls, and you talk to your friends. Take that same brain, put it in a book, and it's only going to remember about 10% in long-term memory reading at 200 words a minute. And I thought I'd discuss why those two types of reading are so dramatically different so we could understand how to speed up. Yes, please do. And once again, speak even louder if you can. When we first start reading, we read letters. We go D-O-G. And, of course, that spells dog. I grew up in Brooklyn, and we pronounce it dog. I live in Texas now, and they pronounce it dog. Whether it's a dog or a dog, you don't see D-O-G. The letters disappeared. Then you go to words like hot dog, which is two words. You don't see a hot dog, you see food. Unless you're in some parts of Asia and it starts barking, you might want to go for a vegetable. <laughs> then you go to the United States of America. That's a bigger chunk. So look what's going on. We start off with letters. We go to words. We go to groups. We go to bigger and bigger and bigger groups. The difference between reading in a book and reading the road is simple. When you read the road, your brain sees everything like a movie, and you remember the movie as you're driving. When you read a book, there's a little voice in the back of your head that pronounces one word at a time. And that's why you read so slowly, because reading is the only time we use our eyes to hear instead of see information. So we need to learn how to read more visually, and that's what I'm going to show them how to do. In fact, uh, that reminds me, because when I read, I hear, it's like I hear my voice. Yes. In the head, um, you know, saying aloud what it is that I'm reading. And, of course, that's much slower then, right? That's Absolutely. what you mean by kind of reading in an auditory mode instead of reading in a visual mode? Exactly. Imagine if you drove a car and you had to process everything the way you read a book. You wouldn't be able to drive out your driveway. It would take you six hours just to look at all the information. That's true. So, now, gosh, so please give us some tips. Um, we'd love to know it. Well, one of the secrets is a concept called schema, which is just a fancy word for your database, what you know already. We're using this database constantly when we read. So if you read a passage and it says, the woman wore a red dress, you don't say, wait, what's a woman? What's red? What's a dress? And the reason you're not doing that is you already know those things because it's in your database. And so we're constantly using this database to understand, and sometimes that's what causes the comprehension problems. For example, if you're reading a calculus book or an algebra book, as many of the homeschool kids might be doing, and you get a passage 
that says something like, it's easy to see. Everybody knows. It's obvious. And you look at it and you say, I don't see it. I don't know it. It's certainly not obvious. What's happened is someone with a really good map, an expert who's written a book, has made a presumption about the student's map. Instead of telling them something is obvious, what a good teacher should have done is told them why. What was in their map that made it obvious to them so the kid, so the student could see it. So one of the things we have to train our kids in doing when we're teaching them reading skills is how to deal with some poorly written materials that they're expected to read. And the first step is to train them on three different levels of learning. It's actually three different levels on which they can learn when they're reading. And the first level is called literal. Literal information is what they see, what's around them. It's exactly what's in the book, the people, the places, the things, the names, the formulas, the dates, the phone numbers. And they have to have a purpose. And that's the single most important thing I've said so far. Every reader, whether it's an adult or a child, has to have a purpose. What are they trying to accomplish? And the purpose can't just be getting through with it so I can go out and play? No. In fact, that's probably one of the worst purposes you could have because you're basically saying to yourself, I don't want to learn this. I want to go out and play. So your brain turns off. And when you go in the mall at holiday time, say around Christmas, there's usually a lot of people in most areas. And you don't walk through the mall and say, hey, I don't know you. I don't know you. Look, there's my friend, my neighbor, my brother. So I've seen the familiar face. You had to see all the other faces as well. But the unconscious didn't recognize those other faces, and so you didn't take any action. It was only when the pattern was familiar and had purpose and meaning that you became involved with the information. But the same thing's true of reading, and I'll show you a little experiment we can do right now on the phone that will demonstrate how this will help the kids that are being homeschooled. Yes, please. Like the parents to look around and make a mental picture of everything colored green around them. Memorize it, picture it, see it, lock it in, because we're going to do a drill with it in a moment. Look around and make a mental picture of everything colored green. Now close your eyes, and with your eyes closed, I want you to recall everything around you colored blue. What happened? You can open your eyes. Your brain say, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not fair. You said green. And green things got bigger, brighter, louder, closer, more pronounced, more noticed. Everything else, including blue, got dimmer and further away. And that's what happens when you have a purpose. The things that matter get bigger, brighter, closer, more pronounced. So you find them quicker and easier. And that's what we want students to do. So they should always, always have a purpose. Now, the second level of learning is called implied learning, and that's information you're supposed to know before you start to read, common knowledge. And the third level is called inferential. That's taking more complex information and using it that you didn't get from the book. So a, a doctor reading a book on how to perform surgery is going to have more success than someone who doesn't know medicine because they've had years and years of learning medicine. The book is adding information rather than providing all the information. Let me show you a little thing we do at Gateway, and I would encourage the parents listening to do this with their kids, to show them how to learn and distinguish the three levels of learning. If you have a dime in your pocket, take it out. And if you don't, then imagine what a dime looks like. And the first thing I want you to do is describe what a dime looks like. What shape is a dime? Round. It's round. What color is a dime? Silver. Great. 
And how interesting is this information? Not, Not very. terribly. Yeah. That's pretty much how most of those kids studying books are learning. They see surface information. It's not real interesting. They really don't want to learn it. Like you said, they want to go out and play because it's boring. That's literal information, what they see. Let's go up a notch. On the implied level, tell me something you could do with a dime besides spend it as money. Something you could see someone doing or you've done or imagine doing. Something you could do with a dime besides use it as money. Um, flipping it for heads or tails? Yeah, you could flip it. You could screw a nail, or actually you wouldn't screw a nail, screw, screw a screw, or use it as a ball marker in golf, or scratch a lottery ticket. There's a lot of things you could do. And that wasn't a real hard question. It's a little more interesting than what color is it or what shape is it. But it's still not all that fascinating. It's not very deep. I'm going to go one level deeper. This is the inferential level. President Roosevelt is on the dime. I'm going to tell you why, because there's a reason. Roosevelt caught polio when he was around 38 while swimming. It almost killed him. When he became president, he was in a wheelchair. The only activity he was capable of performing was swimming. But it was the Great Depression. There was no money for a swimming pool. How would they get a pool? Back then, milk money in school was two cents a day or a dime for a week's worth of milk. They asked children from around the country if they would be nice enough to donate their milk money for one week or two lunches, two nickels so the president could have a pool. And kids responded. They were patriotic, and they put their dimes in an envelope, and they addressed it, Washington, D.C., Mr. President, off it went. So many children donated money that a wealthy philanthropist pocketed the money himself. He put it, dug in his pocket and paid for the pool. Now they had a pool and they had dimes. Washington doesn't give money back. What would they do with the dimes? Roosevelt said, let's cure polio. Let's help these children. Back then, 13% of all the children in America going to school had polio, a terrible disease. And at the start of this charity, he got on his crutches, like you saw him do in the movie Pearl Harbor, and he got up to the podium and he said, this march of dimes to Washington, when they find the cure for polio, and it did. That's when the march of dimes got its name. And who better to put on the dime than Roosevelt after they found the cure for polio? I didn't know any of that. It's fascinating. Now, if I said, tell me something about the dime, would it be more interesting than it's round, it's silver, it's shiny, you could scratch a lottery ticket? Absolutely. We're all going to go home and tell our families the story. And if I said, why is Roosevelt on the dime? And you told me he had polio and how they collected the money for the pool and the March of Dimes, would you have to review that if I asked you a year from now, why is Roosevelt on the dime? No. Five years? No. No. Why should anything... We teach our children in homeschooling. Be any harder to learn, retain, and recall. In the dime story, what did we do? And this is what we really want the parents to take home. We made it interesting. We made it meaningful. And we made it significant so it became sticky. So their brains would hold on to the information. So what we do in Gateway, we have an online curriculum. And we give the kids these learning tools first before we start teaching them content. We don't expect them to learn history. First, we teach them how to learn. Then we teach them how to learn history. And because we put the sticky information in, we made it interesting, meaningful, and significant. Their brains know what to do with it. They don't just look at it. They actually learn it and retain it and recall it. And that's what's missing in education. We need to start doing this with all homeschool children. Teach them how to learn. Teach them how to hold on to what they learn so they don't just learn it for the test that's tomorrow. 
they can actually remember when they need it in life. Will you be able to share that with us today? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, we're just getting started. This is the warm-up. <laughs> now, is how to le- is speed reading is the key to all of this? Speed reading is one of the blades in the Swiss Army knife. One of the mistakes many of these accelerated learning teachers make is they say reading is learning. It's not. Not speed reading, not regular reading. If reading was learning, which is what many parents think it is, every time their child read the book, they'd get a 100. And that doesn't happen. Reading is not learning. Reading is looking at information on a page and bringing it into the brain. If you don't understand it, if you don't know how to remember it, if you don't know how to recall it, if you don't know how to apply it, you don't know how to use it, you haven't learned anything. Most people measure study by two incorrect measurements. You ask your child, did you learn or study? They'll tell you yes. How do you know? I studied for three hours. How do you know? I read 300 pages. And I have to tell you, Rebecca, it doesn't matter how many hours they studied. It doesn't matter how many pages they read. What matters is what did they understand and how will they use that. We had a young man. Uh, his name, his, his, he, he just completed high school biology, the entire curriculum, in one week. And he got four questions wrong on the final. He passed the entire course in a week. We had one youngster go to college. Uh, he was able to get his online degree at Thomas Edison in six months, complete college education. How did they do that? We teach them how to learn, and then we teach them how to take the CLEPS, C-L-E-P, CLEPS. This is something every homeschool parent should be familiar with, CLEPS and Dante, D-A-N-T-E. The people who make the college boards also make the CLEPS. For example, if your child's taking American history in homeschool, who's the first president of the United States, Rebecca? George Washington. And when you get to college American history, who's the first president of the United States? Same thing. What changed? Nothing. Well, what changed was when you did it at home and homeschool, it was pretty much almost free. When you got to college, it was $3,500. <laughs> 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 and, and it took five months. There's about three, there's about two weeks worth of information on the clap. A couple of more names. You have to know who the vice president was, the secretary of treasury, the state the Secretary of Defense, when you know a few more names, a few more wars, a few more famous people, takes about another, say, 20 hours of work, they take the clap. They're done with college. They finish college history. Now, we just had a young girl in Sugarland in the Houston area finish high school, finish high school bio and took the clap and passed the college bio clap. She's done with science. She doesn't have to take science and she goes to college. You know how much money that saves her parents? And how much time it saves her. She's Especially if it were a subject that she's not that interested in anyway, and she's only taking it because it's a requirement. That's it. She's actually a pianist and a ballerina, so she'll be majoring more in arts. So science really isn't her predominant interest. So this is perfect for her. She'll have more time to study things she actually wants to do in her life. So you mentioned then when you had, um, like when we have our students and they want to learn history, First, we need to teach them how to learn history. And I'm going to do that next, by the way. That's the next thing I'm going to cover. Oh, good, because I wanted to go back over it because you said before we read anything, always have a purpose, like the color green. What is it that we want to get out of this? And I'm going to tell you what purpose to have. I'm I'm moving towards that. Oh, gosh, please keep going then. Okay, that's fine. I love questions because your questions are probably questions many of our listeners have. And, of course, we're taking this all in and we're thinking, how can we apply this at our own home school? And for the parents, let me tell them. This will help them at work. 
I mean, many of them go to work and they, they're struggling on their jobs day to day. How do I stay on top of all the things I have to know? The very same things we're teaching these kids, we teach, we teach the doctors and attorneys. I just got a program two weeks ago. I was at the Bellagio in Vegas teaching 300 dentists. Because whether you're a child reading a history book or a dentist reading a medical book, reading is the same, learning is the same, studying is the same. What changes is what they read and study, not, not the actual activity. And the goal here really isn't just speed, because not everyone wants their 13 or 16-year-old to go to college. What right. you're really talking about here is um, reading and uh, learning with better comprehension, exactly. you know, better understanding, better stickiness. And let's see specifically how to do that rather than just saying it, because saying it's easy, doing it's another story. I'm going to give you a technique. I want you to imagine now you're in Microsoft Word, which is a program that every child should be learning, because when they get to higher education, they're going to be needing it to get to get their work done. All colleges today, all the work is done online, all the homework is done online, everything is done primarily in Microsoft Word. Now, one of the biggest challenges for a student and a parent who's teaching a homeschooler is what should they learn? What are they looking for? They open up a book, it's big, it's imposing, it feels overwhelming, even to the parent sometimes. Here's what you want your child to be looking for. Now, picture a three-column table. In Word, you go to the tables function, you set up a three-column table, put about 150 rows. First thing we're going we're to learn is what we call A, B, C, O, Q. A stands for the abstract of terms, or more simply, what are the new vocabulary words? You're in a history book. The vocabulary words might be words like uh, conquistador, because that's a new word. They don't know it yet. Then you look for the new names, the biographies, that's the Bs, the new names, Columbus, Prince Henry. These are names that are important in the age of exploration, as examples. You look for the dates, the chronologies, that's the C. The new dates, 1492, 1500, 1776. These are important dates. There's a reason they're important. Now we have them look for those bolded outlines, those little subheadings that are dispersed throughout the chapter, and that's the O, the outline of the headers. And lastly, the Q, the questions. So we have them copied down in column one in the table. Every new unfamiliar word, often those are the words that are bolded or italicized. There are no, or in many books, at the end of the chapter, there's a word list. These are all the new names. These are all the new dates. These are all the headers and all the questions. Now, if they're doing a research report, I want you to picture that in column three, you write in, in whatever citation format you use, MLA, Chicago Style, APA, Whatever you use, put down the, the citation in column three if you're doing a research report. Now you have a listing of everything you need to know. And Howard, I want to, re let's repeat that too for our listeners. Absolutely. So the thing to remember, the technique is remember A, B, C, O, Q. And A stands for? The abstract of the terms, the new vocabulary words. So you, so you have the book in front of you. And you're looking for all the words that you don't know yet. That's and they're where usually, reading comes in. And they're you usually in bold. They often italicize and boldies. If you speed read, you find them really, really, really fast. Are you writing these down as you look at them? You're typing them in column one in your Word document. Uh, in your Word document, you've, you've put these columns, these three one, columns. two, three, four, five columns. Three columns, and it goes down about 150 rows because you're going to put a lot of stuff in there. Okay, so you've written down the new words. And then the new right term. under that, look for all the names, all the new names, Columbus, Prince Henry, all the names you don't know. Vasco da Gama, think, think Cortez, names you need to know and don't know. There's a reason there's a name in a history book. It's 
somebody did something. And they put it in italics or they've bolded it, they've highlighted right. it. And if it's not, you still want to use it, but most books will, especially books written for younger students, they tend to make those words easy to find if they want them to see that's an important word. Now, are you uh, are you writing this down as you read, or have you scanned it before you even started reading it we word for word? We do called Scope, Schema, Scan, Skim. First, we, have, we teach this in our program. First thing we teach them is how to look through the chapter very, very rapidly. We're talking 30, 40 pages in less than three minutes. And what they're doing at that speed is finding out what's there. How long is it? Is it easy? Is it hard? Does it have pictures? Does it have charts? Does it have diagrams? Does it have summaries? Does it have bolding? Does it have italics? Does it have anything I can use to help me learn? You're not reading the chapter. You're learning what's in the chapter. Where is it and how was it put there? Then we go to the schema. How did the author make this information easier to learn? What did they do? How did they arrange it? Are there subheadings? Are there italics? Where is the stuff located? Then we look at it again, and we go from beginning to end, and we're looking to see where everything that's important is, and we start making an outline now of the important stuff. We start writing down the names of the people and the words, the dates. We put all the headers in and all the questions. And then we go, and we find who these people, what these words mean, and we write them in the middle column in our own words. We find out who that person is and what they did, and we write it out in our own words. Why is that date significant? We write it out in our own words. We find the four most important points covered in each of the headers, and we write that out in our own words. And every question, we find the answer, and we write that out in our own words. Now, notice what we've done that's different than what most kids do when they study. Most children study by looking at a book. Our kids are using the information. They have to reword it in their own words. They have to process it. They have to think it. They have to output it. They're using the part of the brain that pulls things in. They're using the part of the brain that analyzes. They're using the part of the brain that types. Using this technique, we had a group of 14 and 15-year-olds do a semester of lifelong developmental psychology, a sophomore-level college course, and they did it in one week, and they passed the CLEP. The 14 and 15-year-olds passed the CLEP. They got the college credit, sophomore college credit, after one week. Because we taught them how to learn. We taught them what to look for. What they did is they broke down into groups of five. Each group did five chapters. Now, most of the time when you do a collaborative work, Howard does chapter one, Rebecca does chapter two, Dr. Beasley does chapter three, and so on. problem is Dr. Beasley caught the flu and you and I did our job. Now what? We're missing a chapter. That seems to happen a lot. Most people don't like doing it because that happens a lot. We have a better system. I want the parents to pay close attention. We use ABCOQ to collaborate. Every student does every chapter, but they only do one slice. Howard's going to do the new words in Chapter 1. Rebecca, you do the new names. Dr. Beasley, he's going to do the dates. Vicky's going to do the outline, and Michelle's going to do the questions. And as we do this, each chapter we rotate. Now in Chapter 2, you're going to do the new, the new words. And we're going to continue to rotate it. So everyone's just doing one slice. They're either doing the words, the names, the dates, the headers, or the questions. If someone drops the ball, they're only dropping one little slice. The other slice is probably covered anyway. And if we need to get that slice, making up one slice takes a lot less effort than a whole chapter. So, Howard, let's repeat this then to make sure our listeners understand it because it's just so good. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first off, um, you said that there are four different things. You look at the book. Five. First, Five. 
First, you just look over the like the chapter rapidly. To oh, see. oh, okay. I'm sorry. We're looking for five things, and the way we look, A, B, C, O, Q is what we look for, and the way we look for it is scope, schema, scan, skim. That's four things. Scope is going from the beginning to the end to find out what's there. Do I know this already? Is it easy? Is it interesting? Is it boring? Is it hard? How how challenging does it look? How how is it laid out? Is it columns? Is it single pages? Does it have pictures? Does it have charts? Does it have diagrams? What's there? Just real fast. Gives you a sense of, if I had to learn this, how long do I think this will take? And will I have a hard time doing it? Okay. It's really important because if they've got many things on their plate, it's important to know how to use that time intelligently. Spend it where you need it, not on what you know already. Okay, so that's scope. The schema is how did the author lay it out? Where did he put the stuff? Does he use bold? Does he use italics? Does he have charts? Does he have tables? Does he have diagrams? Are there appendices at the end? Is there a glossary? Is there an index? How did the author organize this information so I could learn it? People write books for kids so they can learn, and they've done things to make it easier for them to learn. What did this person specifically do in this book so you could learn what they wanted you to learn? How did they make it obvious what they wanted you to learn? Did they make it bold? Did they put it in color? Did they underline? Did they do all of those things? What did they do? So you understand what the writer was doing to make you learn better. Okay, that's uh, we did scope and we did schema. Scan. Find the new words, the new names, the new dates, the headers, and the questions, and put them in a list. Type them out. And scan. Skim. Go back. We now have a list of what you need to know. And go and find those words, those names, those dates. And write in your own words, what does that word mean? What did that person do? Why is that a significant date? What are the four most important points made in that part of the chapter? And what is the answer to each and every question in that book? Now, on that A, B, C, O, Q, I understand, you know, A is for abstract, the new words, B is for bio, C for chronology. Now, the O and the Q, I'm not under, okay. I don't quite understand how to use okay. those. O is the outline of the headers. You're making an outline of all the headers. For example, I'm looking at one on my screen, Columbus and the Discovery of America. It's under New, New World Exploration. So there's like a little bolded subheading. You know, when you look in your history books, each chapter has a little section and another section and another section. Each of those sections has a name, a title, a, a little bolded title. So we're making an outline of all those bolded titles that are in the chapter. And and we're paying attention to those because they're obviously important enough to be a heading, a title? The, the author put it there to say, this is a chunk. This chunk is about Columbus and the discovery of America. Do so you know what that chunk covers and why it's there? And what now, it what does. about questions? Are these questions you're creating yourself, or are you identifying what questions the author is asking? That depends on the book. You're using the questions that are there, if it's a history book or a bio book or a or a English book. There's usually questions at the end of most textbooks, and often inside as well. Now, but this if course a novel, <clears throat> But if you're reading a novel, there aren't any questions. So, yes, we train students on how to make good questions. We're, of course, we're, we're talking about speed learning, and this sounds like it would take a long time. Oh, it takes four hours to learn how to read 100% faster. The average person will read 100% faster in two and a half hours, and 90 minutes later, they're learning how to remember and retain and recall. And then we teach study skills, writing skills, and testing skills. It takes about 11 hours. The very first thing we teach our kids, 
we do offer this to all homeschoolers as well. The very first thing we teach them, how to learn. The very most important thing every student has to know, how do you learn? How so this you... looks like this technique would take a long time, but... Oh, no, no, hours, hours. That's, if, the, if it took longer than that, then instead of solving a problem, it creates a new problem. If the solution isn't easier than the problem it solves, it's a new problem. So when you look at the book and you do the scope, schema, scan, skim, and then you mm -hmm. write down the uh, A, B, C, O, Q, mm -hmm. now you use a speed reading technique to go through the material. That's exactly right. But all they need to do is in column one, new words, new names, new dates, all the headers, all the questions. In column two, write out the answers to those things in their own words. And in column three, where did they find it? That's okay, it. So this is really kind of simple. This is speed learning and incorporating speed reading. Now, mm -hmm. I know you also mentioned that you have... Um, Children could do speed math. Yes. Yes. In fact, if the parents could get a pen and a pad, I will give them a simple technique to use. If they could write this down using a pad, if they don't have a pad, they can visualize it, but it, it'll be easier to do it with a pad. And actually, once they've done it once or twice, they can do this without a pad. Okay. I want you to write down a very simple problem right now, Rebecca. I want you to write down 103 times 107, so the 103 is on top. The 107 is on the bottom. There's a line underneath, like you normally would do when you multiply three numbers by three numbers. Okay. When you look at that, what if I said you could do this problem in less than three seconds? I'd be thrilled. And you can. This is a special problem. This is parents that are having trouble with math. There's a lot of children that struggle with math. I taught science and math for 10 years. And when they have trouble with math, a lot of them get so frustrated and so annoyed they give up. And that's when it's really a problem. It's not that they couldn't learn it but they've given up, so you can't even teach it to them. This is a special problem. We have two numbers. Both numbers are greater than 100, and both numbers are near 100. It's not 158 and 165. I would pick two numbers between 100 and 109 to do this as an example with your kids. Now, look at the 103. How far is that from 100? Not very. Well, how far? Three. Okay, next to 103, right next to it, on the right, write a 3, because that's how far it is from 100. Okay. Now look at the 107. How far from 100 is it? 7. Write that next to the 107. So now the 3 is on top of the 7, like the 103 is on top of the 107. Yeah. see that? Yes. I want you to just multiply 3 times 7, and, and what does that come out to? 21. And write that down under the line as the last part of your answer. So yeah. That is the last two numbers in the answer, by the way. Yeah. Now... Notice how the 7 is on the bottom right and the 103 is on the top left. It's diagonal across. If you add the 7 to the 103, you get 110, don't you? Yes. Notice if you went the other way, the 107 on the bottom on the left, the 3 on the top on the right, it's the same answer. 107 and 3 is 110. Yes. Didn't matter which way you went, did it? No. That's always going to be the case. That is the final answer. One ten twenty one eleven thousand twenty one. You finished the problem. Really? Want to do another one? Yes, please. Give me two numbers between a hundred and a hundred and nine. A hundred and. Does this only work for um, numbers between a hundred and a hundred nine? No, but it works like between two hundred and two hundred and nine, a thousand and a thousand and nine. Uh, there are other techniques for other types of problems. I'm just trying to give parents something they can use quickly okay. and easily, and I can show them on the phone. Math is very visual. I have a program where it's, where it's laid out in a workbook. They can see it. 
I'm just concerned if I do too much. Okay. Yeah, uh, plus you want to cover a lot too. Without them seeing anything, they might get confused. All right. Let's do 104 uh, times 109. Excellent. And we draw a line under it, and, and we see a four and a nine. That's the distances, right? Yes. Four times nine is 36. And if we add nine to 104, we get 113. We add diagonally. Notice four and 109 is the same answer. And that's the answer, 11,336. Isn't that easy? Excellent. You want to do a bigger one? No, actually, I want to move on and talk about speed math, because I, I mean, speed writing, because okay. I just can't believe that it's possible. Oh, absolutely. Um, we have two. First of all, remember that thing I was doing, ABCOQ? Yes. Okay, what, now, remember we put the citation in column three? Okay, what we do, if you go into your Word, you'll see that there's something called, um, it's called uh, mail merge. There's a mail merge function in Word. Yeah. Okay? And uh, I don't know if everyone knows where mail merge is, but it's, it's in Word. Okay. So it's where on. you can send the same email to a hundred different people. Yes, but it also it's under the tools. If you go to the tools function in Word, and you'll see that there is a thing called mail merge. Now it's a little tricky to describe this, but I'll show. If they e if they want, we can email this to them. They can email me at Mr. Reader at msn.com, and I'll send them the full steps. I'll tell you on the phone, but if they want the full thing, have them email mrreader at msn.com, and I'll send it to them in an email. So that's m-r-r-e-a-d-e-r -E -E at msn.com. And you're going to send us the speed writing techniques. For free. Oh, thank you. We also do this online. We have webinars online where we do this for free. We're a not-for-profit, so we like helping parents, especially homeschool parents with problems like that. They go to gatewayprep.com and they can take free webinars. But let me give you the specifics. Now, you've got this mail merge. Now, I'm going to explain what it does, but I can't give you all the steps on the phone. It's more visual. They really need to see this to do this. Okay. And basically what they're doing is imagine you have a table. Row one, column one is all the headers. Column two is all the essays that you wrote, what the headers were about. Column three is where you got the information, the citation. When you go to mail merge, you can use a table as the source of your data to do a mail merge letter, and it turns into a catalog. And here's what it's going to look like. Everything in column one, all the headers are going to get bolded and underlined. It's going to go down a line and indent, and it's going to put the essay that they wrote in column two right there, and right next to it in brackets, it's going to have the citation. Using this method, we've had 13-year-olds do 28-page MLA-cited reports at the second-year graduate school on the Book of Matthew in under four hours. What happens when you press Word, it converts the table into a document. Now, I realize that it's very hard to picture this on the phone. That's why I offered to email it for free because it will take it'll probably take the average parent, I'd say about 10 to 15 minutes following the steps. They'll do it once or twice. They'll see how it works, and it will be real easy to do after that. But what I'm describing is what they get from that. And what they end up with is a 20, the whole table turns into an instant report. In effect, what's happening, as your child is taking the notes on the documents that they're using for their report, they're actually writing the first draft of the report. And the computer is able to take that table that they created their notes in and turn it into an instant report. Wow. Well, thank you. I'm definitely going to request that. Now, I know your students have been doing very well on standardized tests as well. Yes. So, I mean, we are almost out of time, but can you give us some uh, some quick advice, some quick tips on that? In fact, that's where Dr. Beasley shines, standardized tests, and I'm going to put him on 
Uh, this is Dr. Cooney Beasley. He's president of Gateway. He has two doctor. He has two doctorates, one PhD. He uh, taught every grade from kindergarten to graduate school, and he will tell you a little about our SAT and, t and standardized test taking. I'm going to put him on, and I'll come back when he's done. Yes, thank you. Hello, Dr. Beasley. Thank greetings, you very much greetings. for being with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So I asked Howard. We're almost out of time. We only have seven more minutes. But I know that your students have done very well on the CLEP exams and on the standardized tests. I was wondering if you could give us some quick advice or tips on how to help our children. Well, uh, let me uh, let me back up here for a second and tell them that the first thing we need to do is get our kids prepared for college. Uh, the SAT and a bunch of other things uh, are, are part of that. Uh, the new SAT that's come out this year has caused a lot of turmoil both in high schools and in colleges and particularly with homeschoolers because they don't have a lot of resources. And uh, so one of the things that we tell people about the SAT is, is, is that the SAT can uh, it can be beat because um, there are assist there's there are systems that you can use and techniques you can use that would help you improve your score. One of the things that we do is we simply teach them to use a process of elimination. Uh, the process of elimination will allow what you what you do know to help you with what you don't know. Uh, we give them a uh, a test uh, answering technique. For example, when they do the reading portion, we have them go through and look at the questions and categorize the questions as what we call a cheap question. A cheap question is a question that specifically gives the line number in the reading that tells them where the answer is going to be. Then we have what's called a uh, uh, a scan question. That's a question that they're going to have to understand uh, perhaps the subject and the gist of the reading. And a skim question is going to require them to get some detailed information. Well, a lot of students, when they take the SAT, get bogged down on the higher-level questions. And consequently, they lose the points that they could have picked up on the cheap questions. So if we tell them the first thing to do is go ahead, go through, identify your cheap questions, identify uh, your second-level questions, identify your third-level questions, and go back and answer the cheap questions first. So answer the easiest questions first. That's right. Answer the easiest questions first. All the questions count the same. The, 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 the harder questions are not weighted anymore. All the questions count the same. So uh, let's get the cheap questions first, and let's not get bogged down with the tougher questions. And in that way, we've had lots of students easily bump their score 100 points, 200 points, just because they were able to get more questions answered. Mm -hmm. That's okay. excellent. And, and before we end, too, Dr. Beasley, um, I don't know if you're the person to answer this or Howard. Let's say you so you have a high school student, and um, you know they're just they want to do well, they want to get a diploma, they want to go to college, and they're interested in Gateway Academy. So uh, how do you guide this student? Then how do you teach them how to learn? Because not everyone wants to go to college when they're 13 or 16. So um, how you know how do you take this high school student and kind of walk them through your process? Well, we've got more than our share, of course, of the 16, 17, 18, and 19 year old high school graduates too. Uh, we've just uh, uh, shared with them, the, you know, some of the, the, the some of the kids that have really been able to take the program and run with it. But and I suppose even if they don't want to finish early, they can finish their studies oh, right. we have, a standard... and have more time for their their passions and their interests, right. or for volunteering, or for working, or for whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah, we, we run a very flexible program. We um, we we well, we of course have our own curriculum, and in our curriculum, we integrate the accelerated learning. Kids, the kids will, will tend to go faster through our program because we remove all of the obstacles. We make the road path and you know, make the path straight. We bring the, the valleys up and bring the hills down. So the and first thing you do is you take a student and you, uh, don't you have DVDs that right. teach them speed reading? They run through the entire what we call the gateway advantage. Uh, 
RSTW, Read, Study, Test, Write. They, it's about a 12-hour DVD program. takes the students about two weeks to go through. I'm going to use that with my uh, son next week because he wants to take some junior college classes, and I thought this would help him. Right. This is the place to start so that you learn all of the, the base techniques. This is, this is the, the basic training module, and we provide that for the students to get the, the, the base so they understand the techniques and they understand the jargon because if they communicate with us, we can tell them that in this particular type of course, you'll want to use one of our block documents, or you may want to use ABCOQ here, or you want to use the KISS technique. So they understand what we're talking about, so we're using a common language. And as we take them through that program, they're going to learn Howard Speed Reading. They're going to learn the study techniques where you're going to see the scope, schema, scan, skim, the note-taking techniques, the testing techniques, how to prepare for different types of tests. There are seven different levels of testing, and you need to learn how to prepare for each different level of testing. And then the writing techniques, how to quickly write uh, an essay. In fact, in our SAT program, we use the same writing program that we use in, in, in the RSTW to teach people how to write the essay on the SAT. You have 25 minutes to write the essay on the SAT. We've templated the essay into 26 sentences and it's broken it down to tell you what to write for each sentence. And this, this product is called the Gateway Advantage. The Gateway Advantage is the RSTW, the Read, Study, Test, Write, that has Howard Berg's speed reading in it. We also have a separate uh, DVD program uh, on the SAT, and we also provide uh, tutorials to back up these programs online. And plus, of course, we do have our, our, our online school with the full curriculum. So, so the Gateway to, Advantage is about 12 hours of DVDs? Right. The 12 hours of DVDs uh, start everyone out, and uh, that's... that's uh, virtually every homeschooler that we've, we've worked with, that's where they want to start. And then you take the child and then you plug them into your uh, curriculum. Right. If, they, if, the, if the parents choose to use our curriculum, we plug them into the curriculum. The curriculum is streamlined, and uh, we teach them how to use the techniques right in the curriculum. And at the same time, we organize them like, like any college student would be organized. I've taught college for 18 years. College is going to uh, into a cyber school. You're going to have to be good on the PC, and you're going to have to learn how to use the Internet because virtually every college out there is going to require you to be PC smart. The last three years I taught college, the only piece of paper in the class was uh, the attendance roster. Everything else was online, even though I taught a lecture class. So your curriculum, your um, your books and your learning materials are online? They're, they're available online. Uh, you know, you will have to get some local material. For example, when you read a novel, it would probably be easier to go down and pick up Mark Twain from the bookstore than it would be to try to read it online. But by and large, most of our core learning material is available online, and either either it's free or very low cost. Okay, so first then they purchase the Gateway Advantage DVDs. What is the cost for that? Well, the, the Advantage DVDs uh, right now are, are available uh, at three ninety five. But if the people will contact us and tell them tell us that they heard us on this uh, on this conference call, then we'll give them a discount. And uh, and if a student enrolls in our school. The DVD package is included in the tuition, and if somebody purchases the DVD package and decides later to enroll, any 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 funds uh, towards the DVD package is applied towards tuition. What is the uh, tuition for Gateway Prep? The tuition for Gateway Prep, we have a $279 registration fee, and it's $179 a month. We also include, uh, with that $179, you have a mentor assigned to each student, and our mentors are degreed veteran homeschool moms who have had their kids go through the Gateway program, and then uh, each student is assigned a monitor who handles the administrative work, making sure the records are straight. And 
So that's a very reasonable price, Dr. Oh, yeah, because usually it can take several hundred dollars per course. Right, right. So, so, but we've got it so streamlined, and because we're using the Internet, we don't, we're not having to print and produce a lot of material, we're able to uh, reduce our overhead, and we're just going to pass those savings on uh, to the student. We set this up so that the average homeschool family would not have to go into debt or get rid of one of the cars or, or, or whatever in order to, to use our program. And also included in the program, uh, in, in our in our tuition is that you get a complete college prep package, which we help them with selection, application, funding, and enrollment in college, and uh, they also get the SAT. So a person who enters our school gets all of the supplemental programs that we have included right into that package. Sounds like this would be a good alternative for the non-homeschooling teens we know who are unhappy in high school. Right. right. So, you, we, so you can take uh, you know regular students too and give them a a diploma, if they will, and help them get into college. Right. We, in fact, we've we've even set up uh, homeschool moms who have started to homeschool other kids whose parents can't homeschool them, and they've set up their own little cottage industry. Yes. Uh, doing this. We receive about 500 emails a month, and I notice a lot of emails saying, "Can I help? Can you help me find someone to homeschool my children?" Right. And we've got a program to set up what we call a house school. And uh, and the thing about our program is we do all the grunt work. We do all the grading. We do all the records. We do the reviewing. The homeschool mom doesn't have to bog herself down. That She can spend time being a full-time mom, and we'll handle everything through the Internet for her. Well, thank you, Dr. Beasley. And also, Howard, do you mind if we open up and take some questions? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it off to Howard here. And very nice meeting you. Okay. Thank, thank you, very, you much very much for your information. Right. Hi, no, callers. I know you have a lot of questions. Um, oh, please, Mia, what do you want to drink? Hang on now. Callers? Orange or apple? Yes. Callers, would you please mute out your phones? We're going to go live now. So press star six to mute out your phone, and that way we won't hear the background noise and you'll have more privacy. And then come out one at a time um, to ask some questions. So star six to mute your phone, star six to come back out. Here we go. I have a question. Yes, I can hear you. Taste uh, okay? What What is the website again for the um um? Let's see. Howard right. Burke said that he would send a speed, or that we could go on his website for the speed reading. Uh, to get the free yeah. Howard, to get the free ABCOQ lesson. Um, my our website is gatewayprep.com. Gatewayprep.com, and you can email us directly from the website, or you can write down my. Specific email address is Mr. Reader, M R, and the word Reader, R E A D E R, it's one word, at MSN, MicrosoftNetworks.com. And you're going to send us then your speed uh, speed writing technique. And you said, what else do you have available at at Gateway Prep? Hmm? What else is that you have available at Gateway Prep? Gateway Prep does a lot. What we do is we have a complete online high school, junior high school curriculum. And we even include the math program as part of the program for free. We also provide a language supplement. So I think it's about $69 to learn a foreign language. And we use the Rosetta Stone. And uh, we provide the complete curriculum. And we teach the kids how to learn, how to remember, how to speed read, how to write, how to take notes. What's really exciting, uh, we've, had over, we've had a number of students get through high school in two and a half years with 30 to 45 college credits. We just had a 16-year-old graduate, UT Arlington, University of Texas Arlington, with a 4.0 in economics. He went to uh, Oklahoma University, Oklahoma State University, and he got a full ride, room, board, books, tuition, uh, $24,000 stipend. We have one of the four children this year who got the ROTC scholarship. It's unheard of. There's only four 
old school students and Air Force scholarship and on, on ROTC, and he went to Georgia Tech, and he was homeschooled. Uh, now, to order the DVD package, which is called the Gateway Advantage, that's yes. the one that's three ninety five. Yes. Now, do we go to gatewayprep.com for that? Yes, but you'd have to uh, write us a, drop us a line because it, it says five ninety five on the website. We are okay. giving them a special discount, even a lot lower. Okay, yeah, so they need to write and let you know. Dropping it down below the three ninety, which is one of our, it's an even lower one. We wanted, we want to help people. We're not for profit. We're actually affiliated with Dallas Reads. We do a lot of work with literacy groups around the country, trying to help people learn. And so we want to get these tools into the homeschool community. So if parents would email me at mrreader at msn.com or go to gatewayprep.com, they can certainly see a lot of the things we're doing. The complete SAT thing is available. Uh, we have an online SAT solutions guide. We do college selection, application, funding, and enrollment. Even if they're not a student of our school, we can help with that. We charge a fee. We help them pick the right school, get a scholarship if it's available. Uh, we teach kids how to get college credit while they're in high school, whether they use our curriculum or not, although they'll find it a lot easier using ours. It's a lot quicker, a lot faster, a lot easier. We don't waste their time. What a lot of parents like is we do all the work. A lot of parents struggle with high school and junior high because the work was hard enough when they had to take it. And teaching it to someone else, particularly with all the new things coming out, is difficult. We teach the programs. We give them all the information. Each student has a tutor and a mentor. We do the grading. We do the homeworks. We do the testing. All the parent has to do is make sure the work's done. Thank well, you Howard, know. let's take another question before we lose our time. Please. I, I, I had a question. Yes, oh, go ahead. Um, I, I noticed that a lot of what he was talking about is geared towards middle school and high school, and I wanted to know if there were any of these um, tips or steps that you were talking about could be um, modified for the younger child. Uh, first of all, we are going to have a K-6 program in the next year. We don't have it right now, but we will have it in the next year. We have someone working on it who's a curriculum specialist. We also would recommend that the parent take the read-study test right, and you could teach a very, very young child how to learn before they even learn to read. I, I'm, I'm a grandpa, and I taught my, my grandkids when they were three years old how to memorize. What, what should we take? What should parents take? The read-study test right for two reasons. One, they no, can That's the it. gateway advantage that we were talking yes. about. So they can learn themselves how to learn because that's something they're going to need to know at work and at home, and then they can teach their child the learning skills. So before they even learn how to read, you can teach a child how to study so they can learn to read. You can teach them how to remember so they can learn to uh, retain what you're teaching them. And what I wouldn't teach a child very young, excuse me, speed reading. They aren't reading yet. I usually recommend that in sixth grade. That's the grade when they're actually supposed to be able to read. And when we get our new students in, the first thing we do is we do a diagnostic to determine can they do the work. And if they can't, we look at what we need to do to make sure they can. Like we have a quick story in that we had a young girl who was diagnosed special ed. She was in a Christian private school, and they dropped the program, and we figured out her problem using the diagnostic. To make a long story short, they told her at the school she was at when they dropped the program she'd never finish high school. She didn't stay with this program where it was moving. She ended up graduating high school a year later with us, a year ahead of the kids who were in the regular the program where she was, she ended up graduating with an associate's degree from college with an A average a year after that, and she went to Baylor and got her BA in 18 months. Now she's working on a master's. She was special ed. They just Boy, don't help these kids. 
You know, Howard, I'm thinking maybe we should put together a special uh, teleclass on these speed learning techniques for um, homeschool.com readers. I would love to do that, and uh, that's something we can do very easily. We're set up for it, and I would welcome that. That's what we do. We're here to help. We know what we've done has worked. It's worked for seven years. Dr. Beasley has had uh, brick-and-mortar schools for many years. We've seen these kids. We've tracked them. We've watched their work. We've got a 23-year-old professor who works with us. He got his He started his work as a professor at 22. He's a gateway grad. I mean, how many 23-year-old professors do you know? So callers, if you're, if you would like me to put together, um, a special seminar with Howard to go into maybe a four, one hour seminar once a week, uh, please send me an email to Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, at homeschool.com, and then we'll, uh, put something special together. So Howard, we're out of time. Oh. I, gosh, I wish we had, but <laughs> wish we need three more of these hour long sessions. So callers, would you join me please? Come out of mute mode and say goodbye and thank you to Dr. Howard Berg and also Dr. Cooney Beasley. Thank you so much, Howard and Dr. Beasley. I'm really appreciative. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. And please go to our website. We do give free tips on our website, and we'd be happy to help you. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.